0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cottahee. With Nissan. On News Talk. And now today the... Marine Area Regulatory Regulatory Authority uh, was uh, established in this country. And if that's not a sentence to put people to sleep, I don't know what is. But it is very important because when we talk about energy independence and green revolutions and things, uh, this uh, and other authorities are going to be the the, the the bodies that will help us to reach that point. Well, so say advocates for it. Eamon Ryan is uh, the Green Party leader, Minister for the Environment, Climate and Communications He's with me now. Minister, you're welcome to the
1: show um, so what is MARA and what yeah, will it do? I was, just going to, I was going to give you the acronym because usually you say avoid acronyms, but actually MARA, the C, our regulatory authority, is really important. It, it will help us plan the development of any activity in our maritime area. It's particularly important for the developing offshore wind because they're... If you get the planning right, if you get the permitting right, if you get the licensing right, you you help us, you lower the cost, you, you increase the certainty and you get better. You know, you match community needs, uh, fishing needs, um, environmental needs, as well as the economic needs we have in developing offshore wind. So, so we, we launched it today in Wexford. It's going to be based in Wexford, which I think is really appropriate. Um, there was a lot of other progress this week and uh, on, on offshore wind, particularly where I would have a real responsibility. Last mm. Saturday, we went down to in, in in the on the Shannon. And there, the Shannon, Est- Est- Shannon Estuary Task Force said the development of offshore wind is central to the development of the west of the country. And, and today, as well as launching MARA, which is this new regulatory body, uh, we also set out details of what's going to be our second round of offshore wind. So people, your listeners might remember a number of months ago, we did the auction for the first phase. One of those projects will be on the west coast of the Connemara coast. The other will, the, the others will be in the Irish Sea. They'll provide enough power for two million homes in mm. Ireland if they get through planning. And now we're going, what well, we started today as well as launching Mara, we set out the second phase of development. So this will be moving south. We've we've designated, and, and it's a switch from a developer-led approach where the developers kind of, you know, determine where we would put the wind farms to a plan-led approach where the state goes centre stage and says, this is the area that best meets our uh, meeting getting wind, but also reducing conflict with fishing or reducing mm. conflict with environment. And, and so we've designated an area in southern waters from kind of Wexford Coast around to near Cork Harbour. And and we will then do that second auction. We'll start it late this year. And then we just keep going because we have such a scale of power cape av- av- available to us in offshore wind that we'll do a regular auction each year. We will build up on what is the basic underlying premise behind this is, our sea area seven times our land area. Yeah, it's one of the windiest places on the planet. We can use it for our own needs, but also for export, for for developing an opportunity, an industrial opportunity for the whole country. So, so today was a good day from that. So, perspective. so,
0: so um, is that the sell as as you as you get closer to to satisfying our energy needs from renewables? Is that the sell to encourage people to? tender in these auctions is that you'll be able to export this yeah. uh, this excess energy
1: to a European grid. At the same time as we're doing this we've already started we're building a new interconnector and this is an electricity interconnector it takes it high voltage direct current it's about the size it's less than the size of a tennis ball Yeah, and it, it can send power over long distances with little or no losses so we're building a new interconnector between Wales and Wexford Great Island we're also building a new interconnector between. Comes up France. just
0: at Bag and Bun. I saw it coming up. I'm going yeah. down there
1: this weekend. Yeah, and you hardly notice it. I mean, it comes up under the shoreline, so it it won't really be seen. Um, it comes into an area, Great Island, where we already have power stations, so it's it, it's kind of relatively easy to do. Similarly, the one from France, from near Brest, it'll come in near Carricktool, just west of Middleton there, and and that those two again allow us to have balancing capabilities. So when the wind isn't blowing, we can pull power into the country from France and Britain. And when the wind is blowing, it gives us, it's one of the ways we can export it. But I suppose first thing is, it's actually for our own needs. And particularly at the Channel Task Force, what the what the argument was, this is the kind of the the, the Ardna-Crusha moment for mm. this generation. You know, people remember Ardna-Crusha When in 1927, on on almost you know, young twenty-year-olds were basically who had real skills in engineering said, "We're going to invest in this." We invested 40 percent of our state's wealth at the time, and we built Ardna Crusher to power the country. It allowed to electrify the country. Well, this is similar in scale, except it's going out to sea. That trapped the power of the Shannon. Now we're going to trap the power of the Atlantic, and 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 that power coming ashore in Shannon, or in Cork, or in Wexford, or Waterford has the capability of not just so we get the industry and we share the power, but we bring, bring industries to the West to use that power because that's what all the analysis shows. And earlier in this week, we had a busy week, I also launched a new hydrogen strategy. Which yeah, is,
0: to what extent does that complement... Comple- uh, 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 all of this offshore renewables
1: completely because the, so okay, various ways you can sell and share and store and manage this power. One, as I said, is to send it around these yeah. electricity wires to other countries. The other is to convert it using a process called electrolysis. Now that's where you get you take water and we have that in abundance compared to other countries. You sp- you use renewable electricity to split the water, split H two O. You split the oxygen from the hydrogen. And you store the hydrogen and that's called green hydrogen because you're using renewable power to do it. Mm. It That then can be used in power generation at times when the wind isn't blowing to give you that other balancing capability. It can be used to be converted to ammonia, which you can or to fertilizers or it can be used to conversion into what they call synthetic fuels, which you can use in aviation. So it's got a variety. It can be used in industrial heat processes that is, are hard it, to decarbonize. Is that technology
0: viable and economic yet? Or is it, you know, is it just a case of putting in the infrastructure for that type of thing? Or is there still a way to go in terms of perfecting which
1: Well, you'd start with, first of all, you start where you're already using hydrogen, but there you're using hydrogen from fossil fuels. Mm. So, for example, Whitegate Oil Refinery would use hydrogen in the refinery process. So the first place you do where the economic sense is so clear you switch from that fossil hydrogen to green hydrogen. And, and that's a first application. The e- electrolyzers are... But the process of, of
0: generating that or producing that green hydrogen, that, that's viable and economic?
1: Yes, because we already know we're going to develop our offshore wind at scale. We already have a very significant onshore wind capability and that will continue to grow. It's limited by planning, but there will be further growth. And also what's happening is there's a huge increase in solar energy happening. Even in cloudy Ireland, there's a massive expansion in solar. It's clear now by the end of this decade that we will have about 80% of our electricity power coming from renewable energy. And that will give you a surplus. So there will be times when both the wind is blowing, sun is shining, middle of the night, or not in the case of sun, but uh, for the wind blowing, um, where you will have surplus electricity. One of the benefits of hydrogen, the way the economics Mm. of this is that power, which would otherwise you'd have to spill or you'd have to waste. You can then use to store it as hydrogen. And And can that
0: then be used then to generate electricity when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing? Because that's the question some people have uh, is about those types of situations. People are texting in, as you'd imagine, talking about LNG to, to fill that gap or
1: nuclear energy at some point down the line. No, the whole range of balancing capabilities. Can I say one thing here? And just, and I said this, I was, gave, gave a speech down in Wexford today. We live in a time of real terror and concern for the environment. Because if you look at what's happening around the world, we're facing the hottest weekend ever in California. They're predicting temperatures of 55 degrees Celsius. That's almost unbearable. In same in Europe, in Spain and Italy, their look. I mean, European yesterday. the European Energy Council had to be cut short yesterday because the air conditioning couldn't cope. They give the ministers fans to try, hand fans, to try and cope. Um, all over the world, in the Antarctic at the moment, we're seeing extreme weather. that we never expected to happen so quickly. So it's a truly frightening time. What could give you hope is the action that's starting to take place in renewable power. This year, last year, for the first time ever, the amount of renewable electricity in Europe mm. overtook the amount of fossil coal, oil, gas, uh, electricity. This year, 90 percent of the new power generation all over the world in China and America, in Europe, Africa, yeah. everywhere, is going to be renewable. There is a solar revolution taking hold and a wind revolution that won't stop now, because it is the least expensive, it's the most secure, it's accessible everywhere. It's not, we'll never fight a war over renewable energy. So, and Ireland is good at this. We have very high, we're in the top five countries in the world at integrating variable renewable power. So we're already doing it and we've learned lessons from how we can do that. All those lessons about how you ship power over grids and so on. So we have real capability. Our job in government is to deliver, is to make sure that the conditions are in place, the financing, the planning, the regulatory and other systems so we can build quickly. And that's what we're going to do.
0: So when you talk about an environmental crisis, then in tandem and connected, we've got this ecological crisis and the European Parliament yesterday voting in favour of this uh, nature restoration uh, law, this piece of legislation. And that's not the end of it. Then kind of discussions begin between European Council and European Parliament. What, What do you say to farmers listening to this who are worried that their land will become unviable.
1: I don't That it raises the I water table even on, think...
0: on neighbouring bog land which they wouldn't have a problem with wee wetting in mm. principle but they worry that it suddenly that surrounding land becomes unviable.
1: we have to monitor that and make sure it doesn't happen which I'm absolutely certain we can and I think there's a lot of disinformation on, on that law that it would be bad for farming. I think the exact opposite I think is good, good for farming. I thank God that that it was approved. Like it was close yesterday, it was the Irish vote swung it. There was a twelve vote margin in terms mm. of, and the Irish MEPs who had said they were going to vote against switched, thank God, and voted for. And that actually got it over. This the line. Is the
0: Fine Gael yeah. MEPs yeah, whose party EPP we be voted proud of against that it as a they country? For, we yeah. actually
1: in the European Council, myself and Minister Malcolm Noonan. And working with Charlie McConnell, Logue, Minister of Agriculture, stu- took a strong position in favour of it because it's in our interests. Um, we should be proud that as a parliament last week on a government motion supporting nature race, restoration law, 121 TDs voted in favour, nine voted against. I think that reflects what the Irish people think. Mm. I think the Irish people are aware that the natural systems, the it's not just climate change is at risk, it's the natural systems. If I give you one example, I met Inland Fisheries Ireland yesterday. I was getting an update on some local issues on the Liffey and so on. But they told me the wider news that the number of salmon returning from Arctic, from the Greenland areas where they feed this year is almost 40 to 50 percent down on last year. Like that's truly frightening that we are on the brink Or if we don't do everything to try and stop and change it, of losing the salmon, wild salmon population that inspired this people, people in this country for generations. Sense a part of our system is that we had beautiful water, clean waters, Mm. with trout and salmon, and all the other natural systems, and they are being torn apart by the ecological crisis we are in. And I think the Irish people know that, and they want to do something about it. And I think. That's why in the end, at the very end, it swung back in terms yeah. of protecting and restoring nature.
0: What do you say to those people, citizens who want to do something about it and they think this, the thing to do about it is to slash tyres on SUVs?
1: I spoke at, a, I was up at a Mary Robinson event in Ballina last Friday. It was a really interesting debate, really good debate on some of those issues. And my clear sense, and I share it here as well, is this won't work if it, if protests. yes, absolutely, the right to protest and the need for protest... But I don't believe it should be targeted at the individual. I don't believe it should be targeted at people's homes. I think we need to bring people with us. At scale, and it can't. We can't afford for it to become a deeply divisive personal, individual issue. And I think we've avoided some of the worst of that. Like we don't have what they have in America, where you know, it's a it's an identity issue: are you pro or against climate change? I think everyone, hmm. the vast majority of the people in this country, are want the action on climate change. And I don't think we should be doing form, form, forms of proce- protest that target the individual.
0: Well, listen. Before you came in, uh, and before I let you go, we were talking about. Uh, RTE, um, if a funding crisis, it's a perennial funding crisis at RTE, if a a compounded funding crisis leads to the possibility of redundancies, will the government step into the breach?
1: I don't think it'll come to that uh, and I don't think we should Decide the issue of funding of broadcasting and journalism in the country on that. I mean, sorry, you'd obviously be very careful to avoid that. But I don't think that I think we need to decide the issue in any in any regards. Mm. And I think that but is you rule out a bailout. No, a I I, no, I think we need this more than uh, this time more than anything else. We need to service and fund and support high quality journalism in a world where there is so much disinformation and fake news. It's the time more than anything else that you need. Independent, high-quality journalism. It's not just an RT. I think any funding mechanism that we introduce, we should look to try and support other media organisations, because you want, you don't want, you know, it's not just one voice. So I think, and and, and I think we were coming to that decision. This whole controversy around the uh, payments, the barter account, and so mm. on, has, I suppose, interrupted that. But in the autumn or later this year, I expect us to conclude and make the decisions we need to make to support journalism. Eamon Ryan, Minister for the Environment, Climate and Communications,
0: Green Party leader. Minister, thanks a million uh, for joining us here in studio. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.